Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I have Desiree M. Nicoli on the show to talk about her Vicious Mermaid book, Called to the Deep. This book explores a woman's journey from surviving a disaster at sea to developing a taste for human flesh in her new form as a mermaid. She also develops a taste of a different kind for the handsome sea captain that saved her. We chat about metaphor and shifters and monster romance, why writers are exploring this more prevalently, and how romance works in this context. You can buy Call to the Deep from my online bookshop to support the show, as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following She Wore Black on social media and rating the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Now, on to the show. All right, Desiree, this is your third time back, and I am so pleased to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. I think people are already in for us to basically just be chatting like we're at a coffee shop or something and just giggling and having a good time and talking about vicious mermaids and monstrous things. So... It's honestly the best way to start off a Saturday afternoon, in my opinion. Um, exactly. And I, and I love that everyone who doesn't already know and who hasn't seen me shouting from the mountaintops, uh, Desiree and I are going to appear in an anthology together soon. And I am so excited. We've each already read each other's stories. So <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. You too. Um, I, you know, it's funny cause we, I submitted a story to, you're going to come out. You've got so many things coming out. Let's just back up with that. But I had submitted a story to an anthology that you're going to be in. Mine wound up being used for a different anthology, but we were both still being published. But I love that. Like you just have all of this stuff going on to where it, 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 it increased our chances of appearing together. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. she's so busy. Um, and I'm just so excited because like being in, in in anthology with you was so meaningful to me. You know, you're my little writing buddy and you always give good feedback. And I just appreciate all that you do to help lift me up too. So, well, you know. the feeling is mutual because I'm over here, you know, with like any writer does struggling with imposter syndrome and self-doubt. You're like, no, submit it, submit it. And yeah. What happens? Good things happen when you just put yourself out there. You get to be in an anthology with your friend. Well, and I hope that people listening who maybe have stories, um, you know, that they haven't submitted yet or have all that self-doubt hear you say that because that is so important, you know, not just finding your people, but finding your people and like making sure y'all lift each other up and you're encouraging because the good things do happen. So you guys, I hope, I hope y'all find, find your Desiree and your Agatha. Oh, well, let, we'll talk about our short stories because that's inevitably going to be part of, you know, several themes in Call to the Deep. Um, so let's go ahead and have you talk about Call to the Deep, the book that we are here to discuss today. So Call to the Deep is a paranormal romance set in Maine. It's got some speculative fiction elements and eco-horror. Um, it follows the story of Lorelai Roth. She is the lone survivor of a tragic maritime incident. The ship she's on sinks in a, a very terrible storm. Um, and she has to grip, grab with this, grapple with this uh, growing 
hunger. She doesn't know where it's coming from, but like the more she like gets her, so she, a lot of her memories are kind of like because of the incident, like she, they're white, they're blacked out she, as she starts to get her memory back and this hunger is growing. She discovers that she's descended from a line of vicious mermaids. And if she doesn't like get this hunger under control and her cravings for human flesh, the uh, sexy fishing captain that rescued her and she's starting to get feelings, catch feelings for, might become a tasty snack in more ways than one. Oh, I love when we have uh, you know double entendre for tasty snack. <laughs> uh metaphorical yeah. and literal because you know she's hungry for human flesh um and you know hungry <laughs> you're hungry thirsty whatever you want to call it <laughs> exactly that's a hot man <laughs> yes with forearms and good shirts <laughs> so. oh my god the, the the thirst for his sweater is strong he okay. wears a nice woolen sweater quite well I love the cover art for it too, because, you know, it's all the things that we want in cover art illustration regarding, look at that. See, look at those rolled up sleeves. She's holding it up. Um, and do, I love her sparkle too. I just absolutely love it. Such a yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it, it adds nice little flair to the cover. It's also kind of like a little nod to the fact that she's got bioluminescent nodes along her body. You knew how to write sparkle in, even on a scientific level. Who knows? <laughs> Thank you. I like how bioluminescence is also a thread too, because you have that in Meet Cute, which is another story you have coming out uh, with Bridget's Gate. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm really, I don't know. I, I think I just have this casual fascination and curiosity when it comes to science. And there was a short period of my life when I wanted to be a marine biologist. This was like back in high school. And I, I just grew up loving watching shows like Bill Nye, the science guy, Kratz creatures, that kind of thing. So when I was like contemplating marine biology as like a career path, like I was looking at Maine, I was looking at the college, the Atlantic there, which is a, it's a, it's a school purely for marine science. And, um, well, I didn't end up going that route. I became an English major, but to kind of like call back to that early interest and love, like it, it kind of just meshed well together. And in the end, I did end up talking to a professor who works at the College of the Atlantic. Oh, um, uh, He's a marine biologist. He specializes in um, whale studies. So we had a lovely like speculative like conversation about like what would mermaid physiology and habitat look like what would their behaviors be like um so that was really interesting um it's a combination we, we, what it came down to is like well it's a fictional creature so we get to kind of play with like the real world like like this makes sense for marine science but blend it with like the more like paranormal, uh, fantastical elements of like what um, being a mermaid could be. So it's like, yeah, she has some like mammalian traits, but also she's like got a fish tail and the biological things that go along with that. Um, so Lorelei, she's a different mermaid. It's a different type of mermaid than Ianthe is in Meet Cute. So Lorelei, she's got a very humanoid upper half. Yeah, she has sharp teeth, sharp claws. She's got the gills. 
um, glowing eyes, but you could still recognize her as being, you know, very like human-like other than like the lower half of her tail. But Ianthe, she's got- The mermaid you're about to talk about is in the short story, Meet Meet Cute, which is spelled like meat you eat, but it's, yeah, it's a play on the the term meet cute, which is a romance, like when the, when the protagonists meet. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) That's really helpful context. Um, But yeah, no, she's got like these fins on the side of her head. She's got like huge eyes because like in the ocean where there's, in especially deep depths of the ocean where there's little to no light, like there just needs to be more to take that in. Um, definitely like a kind of like a glass glow smile sort of situation, but it's like her, her mouth is going from ear, like ear to ear and it's wide and it's just needle teeth in there. And the silhouette might be slightly human-esque, but Ianthe and meat cute is definitely a lot more um, monstrous in appearance. I wanted her to be a deep sea mermaid, like a mermaid that literally is like down there with like the anglerfish and all of the other creatures at the bottom of the deepest depths of the ocean. I think what you did with the with the character in Meat Cute is interesting because I love that once again you took in the scientific elements of she's deep sea, so she's going to have a different look. It kind of made me think a little bit of two things. One, like illustration, like old comic illustrations of aquatic humanoid creatures like sea monkeys. Um, but also, what was that Guillermo del Toro movie that you and I both love? I'm forgetting the name of it off the top of my head. Shape of Water. Yes, The Shape of Water, you know, very much an aquatic creature somehow made sexy. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) there's no denying like the hot factor, like that you can see the sexy, you know, um, which is very monster romance. Um, But, you know, it it kind of made me think of that, too. Uh, Was that an I mean, you and I have talked about that movie several times. Was that an inspiration as well? Absolutely. For both stories. And you'll notice. So we're not going to talk about. So there's a second book coming out. That's a direct sequel to Called to the Deep. um, We can talk about it. Okay, well, that that story, uh, Song of Lorelai is the name of the, the title of the sequel. That one, you'll notice, has a lot of influence, like from <sighs> Shape of Water, like a lot more. Like I, when I was writing Called to the Deep, I was also watching Shape of Water and a t- television show called The Santa Clarita Diet. Both of those, I would say, were like the two, if I had to pick two media that like shaped this duology um I would pick those two as you've told me to watch the Santa Saint Clarita what was the other Santa, Clari- Santa Clarita diet you've told me to watch that and I still need to make sure that I do that but I have seen Shape of Water and if anybody remembers like how I fell all over myself for that movie <laughs> I was like it's it's exactly Amelie except with a sea creature but like the same colors and the same kind of music and the same there's like so many elements of the story that are so similar and I'm like oh my god I love that so much um but yeah I I I get the sense when I when I read 
your, your meet cute story. And I cannot wait for other people to read it. Um, I will be hyping that anthology, you know, so much just, I, I know what, I know what people are getting. It's so exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess uh, one thing, one other thing I just want to say is that with Lorelai, she has a very different journey with oh yeah being a mermaid. Cause it's something that she wasn't necessarily born into it kind of the onset of it happens later in life so like her relationship with it is a lot different than it is with Ianthe. Ianthe is a definitely a creature of the sea she is unapologetic about you know having that hunger for human flesh yeah that's why it's me cute I think that that some bonding over that I think that happens with artists though. We have motifs that we return to time and again, but we explore them differently with each piece. And, you know, I think, I think that's standard across mediums, you know, I think that's standard for, you know, art and theater and, and books. And I mean, so any kind of, um, you know, artistic expression, you know, we're going to have motifs that appear time and again, and, and that includes our voice you know, and how we explore our own voice as writers. So I love that you have these different kinds of stories. And, and then the other story I'm thinking about, even though that one doesn't have a mermaid, it does sort of have a vicious, monstrous creature, but it still has all of the same elements of the things that I love from your other work, which is charm as well as, you know, fear and all these other things, which I totally want to get into. Um, so you know, we'll explore that as we go along. I do want to come back to Call to the Deep though, because you worked on that story for so long and you were promoting it for so long. And I felt like, <laughs> okay, the date's announced, here we go. And then just as the date's announced, like all of these other Vicious Mermaid books or stories come out. <laughs> and I was like wait a minute you know it was just so funny and of course people can explore things you know differently and and every artist is going to bring something different to the table um but then that just tells me that there's something about mermaids that are sparking interest you know why is it that you think vicious mermaids are sort of having their moment that's a great question. And I don't know that I have like a theory. I mean, I feel like there's been a pretty steady drumbeat of books and media. Um, and I think it's probably having a snowball effect. Um, just like uh, Shape of Water inspired me back in like 2018. And it took me four years to write the book. So it's just a matter of time on that front. But like Into the Drowning Deep came out in like 2017. It wasn't on my radar yet, but that had already been out there. Um, and there's like so many other mermaid books, like Natasha Bowen's Skin of the Sea and Soul of the Deep that came out. Well, both books came out in the last like year. Um, in the monster romance community, there's yes. Katie Roberts' Crack and Sacrifice. So I think we're just seeing all these really cool like depictions of mermaids, mermaids that are maybe not like uh, the Disney princess version that we grew up yeah. with. So I just think with this just steady drumbeat, it's giving readers and writers alike plenty of fodder. Well, so I think what's happening, I, I really, really like that you brought up monster romance. And I know that Tim McGregor wrote one of the most visible 
stories that came out with Lure, which was really a, a eco horror as well as this kind of feminist look, you know, through the eyes of a man, of course, but through a feminist look at, at mermaids. But what I think I see happening a lot is sort of like what's happening with the Medusa myth, as far as like women reclaiming this thing that has always at once been alluring at the same time that it's been fearsome. Because if you look at like literature, art, art, folklore, you know, mermaids have this long history of, you know, la belle dame sa merci, you know, luring people in like men in particular to a horrible fate, um, blaming or vilifying women though, goes all the way back to Eve, you know, so it's just really interesting how I'm seeing, you know, like I said, with Medusa, but also mermaids who were supposed to be these sexy, beautiful creatures, you know, being reclaimed by women as far as like what the story is. And I think that's, I, I'm really happy to see that with Medusa too, <laughs> um, yeah. kind of reclaiming that narrative. So I, I mean, I feel like that's what you're doing with Lorelai as well in Call to the Deep. Yeah, I tried to make her story of transformation kind of, I don't want to, I don't know if complex is the right word, but I didn't want it to be just about, like, I didn't want it, change is scary. Change in our life is, is, is can be terrifying, can be it's sudden, it makes us vulnerable. Um, sometimes it changes who we are. And I, I don't know, I guess when we were chatting, you kind of had this question of like, why is it appealing to both horror and romance? And yeah. I thought about it and it goes back to this change element like sometimes trauma brings about change in who we are but love can too so when it comes to Lorelai's own transformation there's like a very physical side to it but there's also a very emotional side um and it is largely impacted by how people react to her like how her lover her friends her family and they all have their own ways of of dealing with it. But at the end of the day, they're very supportive of her. Like they're shocked. Yes. It's scary. Yes. But they don't, they don't push her away. They don't try to ostracize her. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, it helps like who they are as people kind of helps with that. So like Killian, he's an offshore fisherman. He's going out into like that, like hundreds of miles away from shore to go fishing and like, you know, weather is tumultuous. He's dealing with heavy seas and he's got crew to look after and keep safe. Um, so when she has her transformation and she, uh, he's there to witness it, he's got like a storm of emotions happening. I mean, it's, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. She tries to bite him. Um, it's also kind of like, whoa, mermaids are real. Like, yeah. WTF. <laughs> also, I'm a sailor. Like, obviously, I've got to have like a natural like inclination to be attracted to mermaids. Right. So, like, he's just got all these crazy emotions happening, but he's that gives him a more like, okay, let's focus on what we can handle right now. Yes. Yes. She she's like physically like she just kind of like did this not barrel roll but like a, this nasty slide into shore because she discovers that she's a mermaid which she kind of just like wakes up in the water and she thinks she's drowning she's not um and he's like let's take care of you let's one thing at a time and then her friend Lila who is a marine biologist she's just like 
feel like bewildered and and in wonder she's just like whoa this is the coolest thing ever so like having this nice little support system is good for Lorelai's mental health and it's good for her in like being able to accept herself because she also knows the other side of this this hunger that's eating her from the inside out that makes her want to eat her boyfriend or her friend yeah Um, and so she's going on this heroine's journey. She's not doing this, like, that. she's not handling her transformation in isolation. And then the transformation itself is something, as we mentioned earlier in the show, that comes later in life. She's in her late 20s. It's, yeah. as, it's a direct result of her surviving uh, the tragedy that incites, is the inciting incident for the book, and that's the sinking of the ship she's on. Um, so it's literally triggered by a perfect storm of things. It's survival instinct. It's the trauma of watching her, the ship she was on sink and the crew that she had spent weeks with drowning and being eaten by vicious mermaids. Now that's a memory she suppresses, but she does get that back later in the story. Well, she was attacked um, too, you know, I mean, being yes, a survivor she, did not save her like in like completely she still has like physical as well as emotional scars from that absolutely absolutely but because she's a mermaid she wasn't eaten and because she was a mermaid because she has gills is why she does not drown so it also triggers like a paranormal physiological change in her this access to water this sorry access to the ocean to the sea because she grew up in the midwest that's like the the reason why the transformation happened so late as she was had no connection to the ocean for most of her life so I I think in a lot of like the shifter media that I've consumed like the transformation is a painful event like bones snapping and cracking and like strip like skin right stretching and you know like falling away and it's it sounds honestly very traumatic um and I'm like I'm putting her through enough emotional like yeah, scarring as it is, her transformation is fraught enough emotionally. So I wanted to make sure that like her physical change was something that she could later like take wonder in. And okay. uh, so like for her, she describes it as like a tingling or like a deep yogic stretch. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, her transformation into a vicious mermaid is terrifying and it's scary but later in the story as she comes to terms with it as the people in her life accept her and help her find solutions to like her hunger and like like help her accept herself like it is something that she can embrace and take thrill in because like wouldn't it be cool to just swim to like like I don't know you could just swim anywhere you don't have to worry about breathing you can see so many cool freaking cool things so I sorry I've been talking no I love it no no that's great because a lot of the things that you were speaking to is exactly what I wanted to talk about I mean no you're a great guest um and I don't know I guess I I don't have to prod you (laughs) I love it one one of the things that I want to talk about is that everything that you just said is so important with regard to a lot of things that we're seeing both in paranormal romance and monster romance 
that I think go misunderstood by people who don't typically read those genres and the profound things that are, I mean, those are profound things that are part of our human condition is any kind of transformation as you are speaking. I mean, if we got in a car accident and lost access to our legs, we are undergoing a physical and emotional transformation because there's the loss of that ability and all of that kind of, so there's, it speaks to a lot of things that are kind of fundamental to our human condition, becoming a mother or, you know, becoming married, you know, all of these things are transformations. Um, And I spoke about, I messaged Rachel Harrison before I recorded with you today, Um, And she's very much looking forward to this interview, (laughs) but I, you know, I don't know if I've told Rachel that you and I were also messaging each other back and forth as we were both reading such sharp teeth, Um, because there's so many parallels. And I love that we all kind of come to these things, like we can have similar themes or similar things, but we also have our own voice, our own spin on it. Um, but there's so many parallels and I'm bringing this up because I think I have a lot of listeners who know Rachel's work. Um, but you're a debut author with this is your first novel. And I'm not sure if people understand like, Hey guys, if you like Rachel, you'll really like Desiree's book too. Um, and, and I want to talk about why, and, and that is because you both imbue your work, the monster stories you write with charm but you also have genuinely frightening elements, both of you. Um, And for her, we talked about like the attack um, on her interview, like the attack and the the werewolf transformation and what all of that means. Um, And, you know, you just spoke to what the transformation, (laughs) excuse me, meant for Lorelai, how that felt and all of those things. Um, But what happens with Lorelai is as frightening as anything happening in a horror novel for very similar reasons that Rachel's werewolf is, you know? Um, and one of the most kind of interesting threads that I found was vulnerability, which you did speak to and monsters, which you spoke to, of course. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting was even though there are vicious female mermaids, because, you know, ultimately this becomes important too, is like when a female is attacking another female, but one of the most important things that I thought, or interesting things, and the most frightening moment for me in your book is when Lorelai is being stalked and hunted by a merman. And when other female mermaids, like women mermaids come to her aid um just kind of spoke to I mean how often that's just sort of a part of our collective unconscious as women you know is like women helping women or women being aware of what's happening to other women around them like in a bar or something like we're always just sort of hyper aware it just in case you need to help in some way and it, yeah I, I think we've all really- had that experience yeah we've all had that experience where we like clutch our keys in our hand we walk extra fast to our car when we're leaving the store at night uh someone's on the same sidewalk as us behind us yeah we don't know if it's if they're walking too close because they just walk fast or is it they have nefarious purpose um that's yeah that that went into that scene that that fear that that uh primal (laughs) need like need to flee or you know flee fight or 
freeze, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah that thought- definitely went into that scene and why the the fellow uh, Merfolk who like she was at odds with, why did they come to her aid when they have they haven't been on friendly terms? Like when she's right. explore when Lorelai's exploring the ocean, like the deep like miles from shore ocean and she's in their territory and their territorial creatures and they could smell her lover on her like that's what draws them to Lorelai in this big wide ocean like she gets into several altercations with them mm-hmm. but they do come to like this we'll just pass each other when we see each other in the ocean kind of yeah uh terms and by that point when she does have that terrifying encounter with the merman it's not it's not like a, they look the other way I felt very strongly that it's like whatever differences we may have whatever may have happened in the past we're not gonna let one of our own fall prey to to him so I I recalled so many moments in life where I've seen that too you know, because I mean, again, like you can go into any bar and women are just sort of hyper aware of this, you know, without, yeah. even, without really thinking about it out loud in their minds. If you know that, if that makes any sense, we, you're sort of aware of it. And I remember in college, I lived in a dorm that was, you know, full of, it was a co-ed dorm that had um, like, all. Oh, we were all grungy, like art students, film students, music major, like all kinds of <clears throat> artsy fartsy people. And it was the nineties, like the early nineties, mid nineties. So we had our flannel and our Doc Martens and our attitudes. Um, <laughs> but directly across the street from us was a fraternity. And then caddy corner across the street from us was a sorority. And I think, especially in your early twenties, when you're kind of finding your self and finding your people, um, you kind you get in these like patterns or pockets of identity, right? But what was interesting, and so right in between all of us was uh, the bus stop because University of Texas is big. And so, you know, we'd all take the shuttle and no one ever spoke about this. No one ever said, he, hey, here's the way we're, we're going to roll here. Whenever a female, whether it was from our dorm or the sorority, was alone at the bus stop and one of like one of each other saw it like if if someone from our dorm saw them like they would they would go and sit with her like a a woman and this was just you know same thing like if I was sitting at the bus stop and a sorority girl saw me she'd come and sit with me until the bus came like and no one ever said anything about this is just like even though we were from vastly different backgrounds and identify social circles it didn't matter you know it and we didn't even plan that it's just the way it was um and you know in any other scenario we might ignore each other we might scoff at each other we might do whatever because you know how it is especially in your early 20s um yeah but in those moments we were there for each other, you know, and we didn't even have to ask. And this, this scene reminded me a lot of that, you know, um, because I, and I think that speaks to a fundamental truth, you know, about, about how we need to navigate this world. You know, we don't always do it. There's certainly a lot of times where we need more women supporting other women, but when it happens, I thought that really kind of spoke, spoke a lot to that. Yeah, I'm definitely, your story like I I feel that in my chest 
I, I really do. And it, it's things like that, that even when the world is dark and I just really think we're, everything might be, you know, yeah. going up in flames, like that restores my faith in humanity. Right. It's, it's moments like that. Um, but you're so right. The other thing with you and Rachel is that becoming the monster in her case, a werewolf, in your case, a vicious mermaid was empowering, but it was also difficult. You know, it wasn't easy to juggle, you know, her wanting to keep the element of her, her humanity. She loved Killian, you know, and she wanted to keep those elements of being human. She could have just stayed in the water, but she loved people and things about human life. And she still wanted to stay a part of it. And so she's trying to figure out, well, how do I navigate both worlds? And Rachel did that with her character as well. I mean, you know, there was no choice. She's going to be a werewolf at some point every month, you know, Um, how do I navigate this world as both? And so I thought that was really interesting. Um, We, I think we all sort of have a hidden life, as well as a public one. And I just thought that that kind of spoke a lot to that too. I mean, I guess going back to what we were talking about change is like change is hard. Even when you choose it, it can be hard like motherhood. Yeah. Um, it, it might be something you've wanted and you've wanted a long time and it's a joy, but it, it comes with its challenges. Um, same with love and relationships. Like it's not sunshine and rainbows all the time. You got to learn how to adapt and incorporate it into your life. I just love that you've told, you've taught, you've spoken about all of this with the fun mermaid, uh, Avenue (laughs) (laughs) motif, uh, a motif of the sparkly mermaid. I love it. We get both. We get the sexy alluring mermaid (laughs) and we get the one who wants to eat you. So everybody wins. Everybody wins. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of found family fluff and friendship love that happens and that probably that probably definitely very firmly puts call to the deep in like the cozy horror category yeah but that's okay that's okay I needed that I I really wanted to give those characters like all the love that like Lorelai and Killian did I I think that's absolutely fine and I'm not here for anybody to say that that's a silly subgenre or whatever i love some cozy vibes and look at look at like legends and lattes cozy fantasy is like flying off the shelves um i mean and his isn't even the only one um travis baldry um there there's a reason and there's comfort in i mean if you're just constantly nailed over the head with darkness it it just it gets to be too much for i think most people you know yeah and that yeah, and that actually reminds me of uh, what what your conversation with Rachel was about her cover and like all the pink that was on the cover and like people thought it was YA and I'm like, what? How do you get that? Just because there's I pink know. on the cover, that's silly. Um, pink on the cover means it's for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's my book. <laughs> yeah, but no, in that book too, like I like how like you know I think after like all of like the major like huge like plot points are are. are are through all of the action and whatnot and all of the grand reveals of what's what yeah. uh the main character and her love interest have this really like cute conversation about like he knows what she is now yeah and he's pretty well adjusted and he's you know 
yeah, there's going to be work. They're going to need to put in some work and get around to it. But it's just so, I love that dynamic. I love it that it's like, I'm so happy you're safe and alive. And that is the most important thing to me right now. Are you also a werewolf? We'll get around to that, but we'll be cool. We'll just, we just need some time. Yes. I, I, I love that dynamic. And that's, so that's why I recommended the Santa Clarita diet to you because it's like that, but she's a zombie. Oh God. And she I needs love- to eat people. And he's like, oh, weird but we'll figure it out <laughs> i love adorable horror uh, the santa clarita diet reference it just makes me i'm like i love adorable horror um but anyway this is what i love about about your story dynamic too though because it's like she's also vulnerable i mean she loves killian and you know is it gonna work and and it's the reason why she doesn't just wander completely into the ocean because she feels both halves of these things you know she feels the call to the deep if you will see how I worked that in there (laughs) but she also feels love and wants both things and so it's this you know partner that is like okay this is who you are and you know yes you've nipped me (laughs) let's see if we can you know work around this this kind of you know this kind of thing and um and yeah, and that's, that's real world relationships. We hurt each other. Yeah. Usually yeah. it's emotionally. Yes. In the context of this paranormal romance, there's like some external, very like high level stakes. Um, but like, it's an accident. She's having yeah. trouble with her hunger because of it's, it's something that's controlling her. She doesn't really have a lot of, she doesn't have a gra- grasp on it yet, but like, it is something that will be resolved in the second book. It's something but, that, you know, that hunger is also metaphor, you know, can easily be metaphor for like things we're going through, whether it's stress or depression or anxiety or grief or grief or anything, you know, it, you know, we, we don't, yeah, you're right. We, we can lash out at people or we can hurt people even when we don't want to or mean to because of whatever we're going through, you know? Yeah. That, you know, I, I, I hope this is, this is why we're talking about it because I'm like, I love the sparkly mermaid, but there may be people like you were saying that dismissed Rachel's pink font that might dismiss your park sparkly mermaid as much as those are the things that draw me in, you know, <laughs> there are people that may kind of look at that and go, Oh, well, that as you, you use the word fluff that may think of it that way, but there's so many things going on in your book that I just love and, you know, are, are so worthy of spending time with, you know, thank you. That makes me feel really, really good. It's, it's hard. I don't know, being an author, cause you want, you, you put in a whole lot of yeah yourself oh. into, into writing it and you're like, people gotta get it yeah sometimes they do sometimes they don't that's okay that's their prerogative um but it wouldn't somebody does say like yes I get it yeah that's just I don't know it's it it's it adds fuel to the flame keeps me want to do what I'm doing yeah well you you have these threads a lot of these similar threads going through the short stories of yours that I've read that other people haven't read it because they're not out but (laughs) I've read them <laughs> and I, we talked about meat cute, but you have another, a bog monster 
coming. And it's funny. I told Tim, I was like, you know, she's got a bog story coming out too. And he's like, oh my gosh, because y'all are on the same wavelength. Um, so do you want to talk to us about that story and how much do you want to tell? Okay. Um, so this, the short story, um, it's also going to be uh, published by Bridges Gate Press. Um, it's titled The Feast of Dead Man's Hollow. It Yes, it does take place in a bog, also maiden-based. There's this mysterious, like, horsewoman who rescues a man who's, like, drowning in the, blo- in the bog after, like, he, a, like, an attempt to sabotage like all the commercial development equipment that's like on scene there to drain the bog and he's like no we can't do that um so it's yeah it's got some creepy like foggy bog scenery there's this clumsy man who's you know he's trying to do good and he gets rescued by the the lady character and she rides in on a horse (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, she rides in on a, on a on a white steed and rescues him. Um, feelings ensue. S- sabotage plans part two ensue. Uh, murder, murder and mayhem in the bog. What stays? In, what happens in the bog stays in the bog. <laughs> I love the flowing black dress that she's wearing as she's riding in to to save him and like yeah. all of these cool visuals. I'm so excited for it. That is going to be in the Gothic romance anthology from Bridget's Gate, the one that I'm going to be in with you. So I'm very yeah. excited. Yay. Yay us. <laughs> yay us. And yay Bridget's Gate. Thank you for liking our stories. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I guess we should give them props too, right? Um, yes, I think so. Or, or thank yous anyway. Well, it's been such a pleasure having you on as always. This is your third time. I hope it's, you know, there's still more to come, you know, from Desiree on She Wore Black. And I cannot wait for everybody to start reading these books, everything coming out at once. I'm so excited for you. It's like your time has arrived. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks so much for coming on and, um, you know, we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter. If you follow the links on our website at sheworeblackpodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading.